Hi, my name is Kate, and I'm a member here at DOXA. And today's scripture reading is Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him we did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, sorry, my glasses are falling off. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This has been the reading of God's word. My name is Tyson. Uh, I'm the worship leader here on staff at DOCSO, most of you, I don't see a lot of unfamiliar faces. Um, uh, but if you don't know me, I'm normally uh, given the privilege to lead worship through song this morning. I have the distinct privilege to do so with the Word of God. Um, I just want to, uh, I don't normally do this, but I was really ministered and blessed this morning by the, the worship. And if we can just give a round of applause, you know, not necessarily... Miranda and Andre, it's, it's not for you. It's for the Spirit of God working in this place. So can we just give Lord, the Lord more praise, clap, and he deserves it? This year's Christmas uh, was especially tiring and simultaneously fun for our family. We had a great time watching our almost two-year-old son open gifts. Uh, it's a fun age because it could be literally anything in the wrapping paper and he would be equally excited. Uh, and I'm not kidding, equally excited. Have you, have you ever seen the video? There's this, uh, 
it was on, uh, uh, what's before TikTok, the small videos? Huh? Vine, yeah. Um, there was this vine that went around the, of this little kid that opened up a present, and the parents were trying to film it to make fun of him, and it was an avocado. And he opens it up, and he looks at his parents and goes, an avocado. That's our son. So that was Christmas. We had a good time. <laughs> I know, though, um, that this time of year can be uh, sometimes the hardest um, for some. And uh, as, we, as we sang that song, How He Loves, um, I don't know how many of you know this, John Mark McMillan wrote that song. He wrote that song um, upon the passing of his best friend. Um, and it, in, in fact, in the original recording of that song, you can hear his sobbing as he's grieving through what was the hardest moment of his life. Now it's become for us uh, a moment that the Lord has continued to use for worship. But for him, it was a way for him to grieve a deep loss. And I know for some of you, um, this is the first holiday without a, a family member. Um, and if that's you, I just want to pastoral aside, um, I'm praying with you, and I'm glad you're here this morning. I know how difficult and painful it is to enter into a season feeling like you're not allowed to express grief or sorrow because it's supposed to be a joyful time. And this is a joyful time. You feel as though it would be inappropriate or burdensome, maybe, um, for you to hurt. I don't know if I'm projecting here, uh, but I just want you to know it's okay. It's okay to experience that grief, and this is the right place to do that. Uh, you aren't alone in your darkness. Not only did Christ enter in, but he has called us as his body to continue that ministry of incarnation as ambassadors of light and love. So if that's you, please don't leave this morning without approaching someone uh, here to give them the opportunity to walk with you in that darkness. All right, let's pray, and we're going to get into this message. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that the coming of your son into the likeness of man means that he truly understands our lives. That we can come to him with anything, in anything, and that he not only hears, not only empathizes, but enters in. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you that your spirit not only is in this room around us, but for us who are in Christ Jesus, he indwells us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you change us and transform us more into the likeness of the one who sent you? In doing so, glorify the Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Jeremiah Stepek transformed himself into a homeless person 
and went to the 10,000-member church that he was to be introduced at as the head pastor that morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for service. Only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people said hello to him. He asked people for change, to buy food. No one in the church gave him change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such. But when all was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepek. The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. The homeless man sitting in the back stood up and started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped with eyes on him. He walked up the altar and took the microphone from the elders, who were in on this, and paused for a moment. Then he recited. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked towards the congregation and told them all, told them all what he had experienced that morning. Many began to cry and heads were bowed in shame. He then said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become disciples? He then dismissed service until next week. This story may be familiar to you. It circulated on Facebook and became the hot topic of the day just about 10 years ago. This story is a story told to evoke or elicit a particular emotional response. Some of you felt a deep sense of righteousness rise up as you thought to yourself, surely that wouldn't be me. I would have welcomed him. Some of you felt anger that the pastor would hide his identity to catch people in their hypocrisy. That doesn't seem very pastoral of him. And some of you are annoyed that I haven't yet made it clear that this story is in fact not true. Yes, this story was really written and really went around on Facebook, but not about a real person, not about a real church, not about true events. This story was created to divide a room, affirm the biases of some, offend the biases of others. It was a story written with an intent, but not a story based in truth. In today's passage, we will find a story written with intent while simultaneously being rooted in truth, a man's identity concealed, an audience caught off guard by truth, and an ending with a twist. My hope for this morning is that as we dive into this familiar story, 
the road to Emmaus, that we would be given a fresh perspective, that while this story is recounting true events about real people in a past time, this story, I believe, is also intended to be seen as our own. All right, enough of an intro. Let's get into it. Starting 30,000 feet up, there's a little background. Luke, who is also the author of the book of Acts, is the only gospel writer to give us this full account on the road to Emmaus. Luke goes into great detail, details that we will dig into more fully, to show that the story is true and verifiable. And though this account is only in Luke, it is also mentioned in Mark. And on the other hand, there are certain details that Luke chooses to omit. And I say chooses because it seems that this story, like many in the Gospels, is one given to the author by Jesus himself. The story gives details regarding Jesus' secret intent that only Jesus would have known. Not to mention, based on all given facts, Luke himself was not present. So in the story, there are three characters. Jesus, whom the disciples don't recognize, and two disciples. One is named, Cleopas. One is unnamed. Some believe Luke is the unnamed disciple. Some believe this is an account of a man named Cleopas and his wife. Some of the early church fathers commonly named the other disciple as Simon, the son of Cleopas, and one of the 70 disciples. And still there are many other theories. And theories are fun and interesting, but are rarely more than that. What we know is that one disciple is named and one is not. Like the thorn in the side of Paul, they remain unnamed, which is an invitation to enter in. Paul did not leave the thorn unnamed because he forgot, because he couldn't put a word to it. He did so so that everyone would be able to identify with the suffering no matter the particular experience. In this story, Luke is doing a similar thing, I believe. Because the disciple remains unnamed, we are given the opportunity to enter into this story as them. At 30,000 feet up, the story of the road to Emmaus is our story. It's my story, it's your story. So as we walk through this beautiful account of what I believe to be a direct reflection on the life of the believer, we will stop to see how Christ walks with us by his spirit in showing us truth, correcting our false assumptions about him, giving us opportunity to invite him in and then dining with us. We will also see this as an imperative for us to mimic Christ in his ministry of walking alongside others in love what it means to be the church. And finally, we'll see how this story of opening the scriptures and approaching the table, or as some traditions call word and sacrament, is a story that we get to recite and participate in every week in this very gathering. Or said another way, the story of the road to Emmaus is the story of how Jesus walks with us, the story of how we are to come alongside others, and is represented each week in our coming together as we open the word and approach the table. That is my hope for this morning. If you are a note taker, then I just encourage you to take a pause. Put down your notebook, your iPad, if you're Justin Kramer, your laptop, and (laughs) didn't get as much laughs as I hoped. Instead, join me as we step into the sandals of the unknown disciple. And imagine with me what that might have actually been like.
As we walk through this passage, there will be some questions to chew on and points to take note of. But if there's something I say that you want to remember, I'll be in the back. You can ask me afterwards. I'll give you my notes, or we can talk about it in person. Um, But this morning, let's focus on being present together. Let's make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we forget that the Spirit of God doesn't just speak through the preachers and worship leaders on Sunday morning. So please, as we continue, as much as you're able, let's dedicate our whole attention, not to me and what I have to say, but to what God might want to say. Does that sound okay? Okay. So this morning we find ourselves at the end of Luke's gospel on the same day as the resurrection of Jesus. Let's set the scene. It's most likely mid-afternoon. On the day that Christ has appeared. And these two disciples are leaving Jerusalem after what would have been the most earth-shattering and confusing Passover feast that they would have ever experienced. They've been recently visited by Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the other unnamed women in their company, with reports of an empty tomb and two angels bearing news of Jesus' resurrection. After traveling to Jerusalem to attend the Passover feast and to follow their rabbi, who they call prophet of God, to his disturbing and worldview-shifting death, and after receiving unbelievable news from unlikely hosts, these two disciples are now most likely leaving Jerusalem to head back to their home where they journeyed from. Theories are swirling, speculations are exchanged, and an unknown stranger is listening from behind. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So we have a specific distance given. Luke is most likely planning a flagpost of validity that this is a real place that those at the time would have known of. Not to mention, this is a decently far distance to journey. We're talking two and a half hours at least. Some uh, translations would yield about six hours. That would be equal to walking from here to the Nature Trail and International, which I see people do every time uh, we drive home from church. Still have yet to see an unknown stranger trailing behind them, but nonetheless. Just so you have a picture in your mind of the distance. And so we're going to spend the next two and a half hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Here's that first instance of a detail that Luke couldn't have known without personal insight from Jesus himself. Something is keeping these disciples from recognizing Jesus. Some believe this is Jesus himself. We would maybe get this from Romans 11.8 that says, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. Others believe that this is the enemy, Satan, citing passages like 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, in their case, the lower case, God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And still, others believe that it was simply due to the fact that Jesus looked different in his glorified body which is the case in many gospel passages. This not recognizing Jesus theme happens in several 
places even before Jesus' death and resurrection. As they're crossing the water and see a man that they don't recognize on the shore. I, for one, choose to take the stance that all of these are plausible. And so making some definitive stance that as to which one for me misses what is most obviously true. The disciples don't recognize him. And Jesus seems to be okay with that. There's no, look, I'm alive, believe, worship, be amazed. In typical Jesus fashion, is a curiously posed question with an intent to expose inner workings and give opportunity for correction. Jesus does this with us, doesn't he? His spirit, ever so gently, asking us questions like, what are your plans when you're going get to get to your house? What are you going to do? Or some other leading question with the intent to expose hidden sin or wrong assumptions about God or his image bearers or the false selves that we didn't know we were living from. Just like with these disciples, Jesus is our advocate. He doesn't stand as our accuser like our enemy or like the pastor from the opening fake story. He comes alongside us. As we walk this journey of life to listen to our stories, ask us questions, teach us truth, convict us of sin, and offer endless opportunity of invitation, that's this story, and it's ours as well. Don't get me wrong, he doesn't hold back. He straight up calls them foolish and slow to believe. But not as a means to put them down and rise up above them, as a wake-up call to open their eyes. It rings true in a, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 5.14. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's in some of the songs we sing. And isn't this how we are called to come alongside each other? Yes, our neighbors in general, but especially those of us in the church. Wouldn't we all benefit from learning from Jesus and how he interacts with these disciples? What if while in community group or on social media or standing behind someone in the grocery store, we sought the genuine benefit of the other by entering into their story, asking good questions before asserting our opinions, speaking truth and love and giving them opportunity to respond? In other words, what if we acted like Jesus a bit more and less like our enemy, lying in wait, standing to accuse, Look at our homes, communities, workplaces. What would this church look like? Just a thought. Continue reading with me in verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. It'd be easy to breeze past that. But these disciples walked with Jesus during his ministry. We can confidently infer this because they were both with the 11 apostles when Jesus rose. Cleopas, in uh, ancient church tradition, dating back to 180 AD, is identified as the father of Mary, the one of whom stood with Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. He's also identified as the father of James the Less, who wrote the book of James, and as the brother of Joseph. They would have heard him teach. They would have watched him as he sat down on the side of a hill and preached the most famous sermon to date. Blessed 
are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. They would have heard those words. They ate fish and bread multiplied for thousands from a little boy's lunch. They spoke with mutes, danced with the lame, and gazed into the freshly bright eyes of the blind. They danced and shouted on their way into Jerusalem, joining with the crowd, shedding their cloaks to be thrown before Jesus as he entered the town. They broke bread with him and waited for what their teacher would do next. And then they saw him die. So when Jesus asked those words, they were stopped in their tracks and filled with grief, and they stood still looking sad. Do you feel how much more is at play in this interaction? Continuing on, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And this was big news. Literally everyone was talking about it. The thing we we tend to not talk about on Easter is that when Jesus resurrected, the the, uh, veil was torn, there was an earthquake, and literal dead people were just coming out of their graves, walking around Jerusalem like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I shouldn't be alive. This was big news. Everybody was talking about it, whether you followed him or not. So it made no sense to Cleopas that this man could be so ignorant to what had just happened. And so <laughs> then Jesus says, what things? Uh, I imagine Jesus to be a little playful sometimes. What things? And he's drawing something out of them. He's wanting them to expose what they believe about him so that he can enter in. And he said to them, concerning Jesus, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. There it is. Jesus has now drawn out at least that Cleopas had a wrong understanding of who Jesus was. He saw Jesus as a prophet. You're going to see Jesus' response is that he rightly calls himself the Christ. The Messiah. And he had a particular political and national expectation of how Jesus was going to redeem Israel that inhibited him, inhibited him from seeing how Jesus was actively doing it. He and the disciples lacked faith. The women who followed Jesus were visited by angels in an empty tomb and rushed to tell them, but they were still unsure. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, not the prophet, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Don't mishear this. Jesus is not slapping them down as some are prone to read into this text. He is a shepherd. He is our good shepherd who cares for his sheep. And his sheep need a little nudge. Has anyone ever needed a wake-up call like this? Anybody? Okay. Six of you are honest. That's good. (laughs) Anyone ever gotten one in a prayer? God's Spirit drawing to mind an area where you had really gotten it wrong. And you've not taken the subtle hints. And now you need something a bit more direct. Ever received this from a friend, a sibling, or a spouse? Someone who really knows you, really loves you, and really you were grateful that someone loved you enough to say it. That's what this is. Maybe this morning you need to listen to the Spirit. Or that friend. Maybe you need to listen to that brother or sister or to your spouse. Maybe you need to be that person for someone else. Like I said earlier, listen to the Spirit this morning. I have little to give. I have little worth listening to. God is among us. I pray he's speaking through me. Listen, he is speaking. He has something for all of us if we would be present and available to him. Continuing verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There, were, um, there was this icebreaker question. Um, we had a person in our community group years ago who was just, I think they had a spiritual gift of asking good questions. So they were tasked every week with coming up with an icebreaker, and the conversation was just awesome. One week, they had this question um, that was like this. If you could go anywhere, an event, at any point in time, in any place, where would it be? And I think my answer, we were sitting around a fire, and I don't know if I wanted to be seen as the, the nerdy one or whatever. My answer was the Library of Alexandria. And I thought, oh, how cool, before it burned down. But being completely honest, I think I would probably change my answer to this very moment on the road to Emmaus. For the next two or so hours, Jesus walked through the whole Old Testament and interpreted it all to them. He didn't have the Bible app or a physical Bible. The scriptures, the Old Testament books were on huge scrolls. So this was all from his mind and heart for two hours. Other than the fact that I wish I could have witnessed what must have been the most eloquent, brilliant, beautiful Old Testament survey, I think it's worth noting the manner and the pace of how Jesus did this. Jesus could have just opened their eyes. He could have tapped them on the shoulder and reveled in their amazement. But he didn't. He could have bashed them over the head for their ignorance, but he didn't. He could have given a quick elevator pitch method of the Romans Road gospel presentation, but he didn't. He took his time. 
And I thank God that Jesus does this with me. I know for myself just how patient and steadfast the love of the Lord is for me. I need it every moment. I think we can learn from this. I think that maybe we could learn to take the Emmaus Road method of coming alongside others in their grief, asking questions, sharing truth and love, and taking our time and unpacking who Jesus is with them. I think we, could, we would find that evangelism can be more of a journey and doesn't necessarily need to be an event. What Jesus does with these disciples, I believe, is what he has done and is doing with us. It's what we can be doing with others. Evangelism it shouldn't have to be an event. The gospel can't just be an elevator pitch, and discipleship isn't just meant to be a class. It's not. Evangelism shouldn't have to be an event. We're doing life together. The gospel can't just be an elevator pitch. It's so much more than that. And discipleship isn't just meant to be a class. It's lifelong, ever-growing. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For, for, it's, it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Here's that second detail that only Jesus could have known. He acted as if he were going further. Why did Luke include this? Why did Jesus let him in on it? What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us from it? Jesus doesn't often barge down doors. Most of the time, he isn't even knocking. He simply leaves his open. Jesus is displaying the freedom that God does give us. Jesus has done the most marvelous thing in interpreting all of the scriptures. He's made it pretty difficult for them not to invite him in, and yet he still acted as if he was continuing so that they could invite him in. He put it in their court. And this is consistent with our God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Forgive others, and your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ask, and you shall receive. God proves his love and makes himself available to us over and over and over. Rarely in the scriptures does he go outside of this pattern. He desires our participation in his work, our acting upon his love. What is the Spirit of God putting on your heart? What has he left in your court? Will you do as these disciples did? Will you respond? In Genesis 18, while sitting by his tent entrance, Abraham was visited by the Lord. He came in the form of a man with two angels on either side under an oak tree near Mamre. In the story, Abraham quickly greets them and serves them with unwavering hospitality. It's at this meeting that Sarah is promised children and the Lord pronounces Abraham as chosen for his sake. The reason I bring this up is it's very similar to the passage we're in. 
two church fathers viewed this passage with very different interpretations, though. One believed that in this story, Abraham's invitation of hospitality was because he rightly recognized the Lord was among the three men and therefore gave him the service due to him. In other words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another, though, believed that Abraham's hospitality was evidence of his righteousness in loving the stranger. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. He went on to say, that second church father, let us all imitate this and display much zeal in practicing hospitality, not merely to receive some reward for these perishable and corruptible things, but to lay up for ourselves as well the enjoyment of immortal blessing. You see, if we practice hospitality, we shall welcome Christ here, and he will in turn welcome us and those mansions prepared for those who live, who love him. And we shall hear from him, come, my father's blessed ones, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Why so? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. A theologian named Hans Borsma, said this on the matter. The appearing of God near the Oak of Mamre makes clear that human hospitality is based on divine initiative. In other words, we are called to be hospitable, but not from ourselves. We can't. We show hospitality because we've been shown hospitality. We love because God first loved us. Unlike the pastor in the opening story, and I can rail on him because he's fake, so... It's not unloving. Jesus does not disguise himself to shame and embarrass the unfaithful. He patiently and graciously comes alongside us in our falsehoods and lack of faith and supplements it with his truth and faithfulness, enabling us to respond freely to his gift of grace. I don't have this in my notes, but Jason, I think of your story which I was so encouraged by. The way God has faithfully been with you, even in your ups and downs when you believed and lacked belief and believed and lacked belief, and he was always there. He never gave up. That's our story. In different ways, in different seasons, same God, same way. Listen to the Spirit's call to you this morning. He is present. He is speaking. He is waiting. And it may seem like he's continuing on. Will you invite him? Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I wonder how much time of silence there was before it was broken with those words. 
did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Brothers and sisters, do, you, do your hearts burn within you? Has the Spirit been speaking to you this morning? Has he been speaking for quite a while and you are just now giving him the attention he deserves? Are there ways that come to mind, moments that you're remembering now where the Lord was walking with you? Maybe through the presence, advice, or counsel, or embrace of a brother or sister. Or at that time, you didn't see it was him. Or you didn't recognize the resurrected Lord as he wept with you through the loss of that family member. As he held you through the embrace of your spouse. As he counseled you through the advice of a friend. As he illuminated truth through the reading of his word. Have you been missing the ways that Jesus has been next to you all this time? Have you been the foolish one who forgot it was necessary for these things to happen? I was. I am. Over and over. Have you felt that he has moved on away from you and abandoned you? Invite him in. Draw near. Forgive others of sin. Ask and you shall receive. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen. Yeah. The Lord has risen indeed. I know it's not Easter yet, but come on. He's still risen. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In the garden, Genesis 3, the enemy tempted Adam and Eve to eat a forbidden meal. He told them to take and eat of something that would bring about spiritual death. In doing so, their eyes were darkened and their communion was broken. In this little village called Emmaus, Jesus broke bread and offered it to them. He told them to take and eat of something that would bring about eternal life, not the bread himself. In doing so, their eyes were opened and once again communion was restored with their creator. Jesus was subverting what the enemy had done. That same meal is offered to us this morning at the communion table. At Doxa Church, we practice communion every week in the breaking of the bread, we are met with the tangible and tactile grace of Jesus. As we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then this table is for you. These imperfect disciples got a lot of things wrong. This is a table for imperfect disciples who get a lot of things wrong. It's a table of grace. This is communion. If you are not a disciple of Jesus, then this table is not for you. Not yet. But this time is. Take this time to consider what's been said. Consider the cost of what it might mean to follow Jesus. Jesus said that over and over, by the way. He had many following him. And he would stop and turn and say, 
Count the cost. It's costly to follow me. Where I'm heading, you will head also. He gave his life and calls us to surrender ours, but he also offers us abundant life in himself, what we were all made for. So take this time to consider these things, and please, please don't leave. Please don't leave without giving someone the privilege to pray with you. I would be absolutely honored if I could do that. Um, I'm about to pray. Um, the worship team has, has come up now, and uh, they're going to lead us in a song as we together come up to receive communion. Now, for communion, we will have two stations, one on either side. You will come from the outside. Come from the inside? All right. You're going to come from the inside, receive the elements, and then you'll return from the outside back to your seats and wait until Randy comes up to introduce communion for us to take it together. Let's continue to worship. I want to pray. Let's continue to worship communion and song. Father, thank you. Thank you that, uh, like these disciples who got a lot of things wrong, you patiently came alongside them. You taught them in truth. Father, would you open our eyes to your grace and mercy as we come to this table. Would you encourage us, uplift us, convict us, transform us by your Holy Spirit. Continue to make us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus, for a watching world is looking. May it be that they see disciples love one another. Be glorified. We pray in Christ's name.